Well, we are in uh, Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. I'm going to give you a little heads up about uh, our, our message today. It is going to be about money. It's going to be about wealth. It's going to be about possessions. Uh, the reason I'm telling you that on the front end is because all of those kinds of things tend not to be uh, things that we enjoy talking about. Uh, there's sort of the old saying that it's not polite uh, to talk about money with others. Uh, we get uncomfortable. I mean, there's a lot of things we, we've, we're fine talking about. Uh, we can talk about the cyst on our legs or the argument with our family. But if you start talking about, you know, salary or debt load or our spending habits, then, I mean, that's, I mean, that's our business. Um, it's not polite. Well, um, one thing I've noticed about this kind of reluctance on our part is that I think it's because we, we know how significant money really is. It's sort of deep down. Maybe we don't articulate it, but just, just take this, for instance. Uh, in, in our culture, and this may be more kind of Christian culture, if you're part of the church, uh, have you noticed that whenever we buy something new, we tend to have a lot of reasons ready to explain to someone why we bought that new thing. So if we bought a new computer, a new car, even a new, like, new clothes— uh, if someone asks us about it or like they notice it, we always have some reasons. Oh, well, man, you wouldn't believe the deal I got on this, on this new TV. I mean, it's incredible. In fact, my old TV, uh, whenever I would turn the volume up, it would shoot sparks and like things would catch on fire. So I, I had to, I kind of had to buy a new TV. It was a matter of public safety. We, we tend to explain away the things that we purchase, uh, I think because it makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. We don't want anyone to think that we're, you know, have some overt displays of wealth. Also, I think because we, we kind of know that the way that we handle our money does say something about who we are. There, there's a deeper connection there. And this is a connection that Jesus is very aware of. And the thing about Jesus is he is not uh, too concerned about being overly polite. What he's mostly concerned about is about saying the thing that will be best for our souls. So today, uh, he's going to talk about money. In fact, throughout his ministry, he talks a lot about money. And today what you'll notice is he wasn't even planning on talking about money, and then he ends up talking about money. Uh, let's, let's jump into our text. Uh, with verse 13, what you're going to notice is that Jesus is sort of talking about something else, and then he gets interrupted. So here's verse 13. He's talking to a large crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So Jesus is interrupted. It's a fairly, it's a very self-serving request. This guy is dealing with an inheritance dispute. And if you know inheritance disputes, you know these things can be ugly. I mean, it's just, it's devastating when families turn on each other and, and fight for, for what's owed. And Jesus wants no part of this. He's basically saying to this guy, look, I'm, I'm not here to be a Judge Wapner. Remember Judge Wapner from the People's Court? Dealing with everyone's, you know, difficulties on TV. Anyway, Jesus, that's not what he's here for. Jesus is the judge of all the universe. He will be the judge of the living and the dead at the end of this age, but that, it's, that's not the time for that right now. Right, right now, he has not come to deal with these petty issues. So he says to him, look, who made me judge over you? Basically, like, I, this is not what I'm here for, but, but Jesus does see an opportunity to address the heart issue behind this guy's uh, question. And, and he sees this as an opportunity to teach the people about the danger of material desires. So Jesus really, in this next verse, gives us kind of the theme statement, the big idea for this uh, entire section, and which is this, verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
So you see Jesus there, his main concern, what he wants to talk about is covetousness, coveting, which is basically wanting more than what God has given you, wanting something that God has, has not given you. And it's a problem because it gives us the wrong idea about what life is actually all about. That's what he's saying here. He's saying it, it, it's, it's a problem and it's a problem that continues to this day. In fact, one of, I think we'd agree, the most pervasive lies of the modern age um, is that our life uh, is about uh, the abundance of our possessions. And, and what Jesus is saying is, look, this is totally false. That connection that you might be seeing between a good life and the stuff that you have is not there. In fact, he's saying, if you think your life is about what's in your bank account or what's in your garage, then your soul is in grave danger. And what Jesus does is he goes on to explain the nature of this danger and how deceptive the, the things that we you know, yearn for actually are. Uh, so he's going to tell us a parable. It's, it's sort of a short parable. It's about a rich farmer, but really, as you're going to see, it's, it's really about us. It's really about, I mean, it could be written for this age, uh, for this day, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the parable a chunk at a time and pull out three key insights uh, that we need to hear today. So here's the first chunk, verses 16 to 19. And Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So here's our first key insight. First point. Times of plenty are dangerous. Times of plenty are dangerous. Um, the plenty part, you can see verse 16. The land of the rich man produced plentifully. So this, this man is clearly doing very well, right? He's a rich, he's a rich guy. Notice it doesn't say he's a dishonest guy. He's not crooked. He hasn't um, abused his workers. Uh, he hasn't mistreated anyone. He hasn't defrauded anyone. I mean, he is just a, a guy with a farm that is doing very, very well. He's worked hard and God has blessed him. It's the land itself that has produced plentifully. L listen to me. All of this is good. Th this is not a bad thing. This parable is not telling us that we shouldn't be successful or that it's wrong to be wealthy. What it's saying is that in those times when things are going well, we have to be on our guard. Because in those times, there are specific temptations that come, come with them. This is something that I don't think we understand very well. I think, I think we understand that when there are difficult times, uh, that, that's a time of temptation. A time where we are naturally on our knees praying a lot because uh, in difficult times, I mean, we worry that we're not going to have enough and our faith in God's provision uh, is tested. We're tempted to get to the place where we just think to ourselves, look, God doesn't care about me anymore. I've been praying about this. Nothing's changed. I still don't have a job. My business is still uh, in, you know, in, the, in the pit. Nothing is going the way I want. And our faith begins to erode. We tend to kind of look inward and inward and it's a real trying time for us spiritually. That I think is fairly clear. It may be that in this time of COVID, you find yourself in that kind of a time. But we need to also understand that in times of plenty, it's also a challenging time for our faith. It's challenging because we need faith to help guard our heart against the temptation towards greed and covetousness. 
of, of wanting more and more and more. And just to, just to help illustrate this, in case, in case you're unclear as to how this can grip the human heart, here is a, um, here's an experiment you can do. Let's, let's call it a thought experiment. You could try this in your daily life, but I would do this under supervision because it can get out of hand really, really quickly. Um, just imagine, think, this won't, this won't be difficult. Think of something that you want. Something that, not, not a huge thing, just like a medium, small size thing that you have been kind of yearning for. Maybe it, maybe it is new clothes. Maybe it's uh, something for the house. Maybe whatever it is. And now imagine that you came into a little bit of money, like 500 bucks. Not a little bit. That's, that's a good amount of money. And imagine you say to yourself, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna use that money to get the thing that I've been wanting, that to, to buy the stuff that I've been, but I'm not just gonna buy it all at once. I'm gonna buy it a little bit today, and then tomorrow I'm gonna buy a little more. So maybe it's a shirt today, maybe uh, shorts tomorrow, maybe some other article of clothing. Do it for like four days in a row. Here's my question. By the end of those four days, let's say you go through all that $500, you keep buying the thing you've been craving. Let me ask you this. Do you think your craving by the end of it is going to go down or go up? Like after buying all of those things, you've been wanting clothes, now you've got more clothes. Do you actually want clothes less? In my experience, my craving, I only want more. The more that I feed it, in fact, I kind of get used to it. I'm like, that was great. I feel, I feel good. I look good in this new shirt. This is a new shirt. But if I had one, I'd look good in this shirt. I want another new shirt. I want to feel this way again and again and again. That's, that's the problem. Slowly but surely, the desire for more will take over our lives. And that's the connection to our soul. That's, that's really what Jesus is trying to get at here. Um, if we're not careful, instead of being a people, if you're a Christian, instead of being people who are living for Jesus, we can very easily become a people who are living for the stuff in our lives. And what Jesus is trying to say with this parable is this man was totally unaware that this was a problem or a danger for him. All he was thinking of is the potential good that he could bring into his life with having bigger barns to store even more stuff. So we get even more of what he wanted. So let me ask you this before we, we go any further. Are you in this kind of danger? I mean, we know that, that this is a time right now where it's difficult for lots of us. But with COVID, there are many people who are, whose businesses are booming. Like, for example, if, if you own a bike shop this year or a lumber yard, I mean, sales are, are through the roof. Or maybe, or maybe you're just a farmer, in a sense, with, with some land that has been producing plentifully for years. And you look around and, man, there's, you don't know where to put all that you have. Do you recognize that if you're in that situation, there is a real danger for your soul? Do you realize that what Jesus, his best words to you in this time is, look, you've got to be careful. You've you got to be on your guard. Right? You've you got to be very, very careful. And, and here's why. Here's our second point. So the first is that, look, there's times of plenty. Seems like, like just all good, but actually there's danger there. Second point, here's why there's danger. Because self-indulgence doesn't deliver. Self-indulgence does not deliver. I'm going to read the middle section again. This is, this is, his, this is the farmer's plan. Verse 17. And the farmer thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
this rich man had a very modern dilemma. This is, we, we should be very familiar with this dilemma. Too much stuff, nowhere to put it. I mean, how many of us actually park our cars in our garage anymore? How, how many of us have closets full of stuff, storage rooms full of stuff, even storage lockers somewhere else full of stuff, and yet, probably when we go home today, there'll be an Amazon box on our, on our doorstep because there's somehow things we, we, need, we still need. There's more that we need. That's, that's, our, that's how we interact with the world around us. Notice that's what, that's what this guy's thinking. But do you also notice he's anxious about it, isn't he? Like he's worried. He's, he's worried about losing what he has. He wants to capitalize on all this abundance. He's thinking to himself, man, how can I make sure that I don't, that I don't give up any of this? Now the anxiety part, Jesus is going to pick up on next week or in the next section. We'll deal with it next week. But for now, I want you to notice what's not part of his thinking. There's no thankfulness to God. There's no contentment with what he has. You don't see him here thinking to himself, man, I already have so much and now I've got this extra. You also don't see him thinking at all about the people in his community that are in need. And all of those missing pieces, if you put those together, it would have solved his problem. He has barns that are only so big and too much stuff. If he had thought to himself, man, God, you've, thank you, Lord, for all that you've given me. You've already given me enough. And look, there's people in my life that need this. He could have distributed it and there would not have been a problem anymore. But the fact that he's, he's not thinking that way tells us that there's already greed and covetousness in his heart. You can actually see it in his language, right? If you look at the text, he, he uses the word my uh, four times, the word I eight times, I, I want to do this. Um, I want to take down my barn. I want to get more like his I, I, me, me, all that's, that's his, that's his focus. And it culminates in his plan to live a life where he relaxes, he eats, he drinks, and he is merry. That's his immediate natural response to all of this is, is look, it, it, it's wow. <laughs> this is amazing. This is fantastic. This is everything I've ever dreamed of because now finally I can build the life that I've really always wanted, which is a life where I can relax, I can sit back, I can just enjoy everything. It is a life of self-indulgence. This also should be very familiar to us. I mean, I hate to say it, but is this not an accurate description of, of what retirement is from our culture's point of view? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I'm not sure if this is still around, but there was something called Freedom 55. Is that still around? I remember seeing commercials as a kid, Freedom 55, it was this financial plan. And the idea was um, if you, you know, follow their financial strategies, invest wisely, then by the time you're 55, then you can live the dream. Then you can quit work. You can go and just uh, live a life that's all about you. And man, then you will be happy. And look, whether you can actually do that by 55 or 65 or whenever, that really is the, the dream for our culture that eventually we'll get to a place where we don't have the responsibility, we don't have to work, we can, we can what? We can buy an RV, we can drive around the continent over and over again, we can buy a place down south, chase the sun, back and forth, be snowbirds, we can get on a cruise ship and just circle the world. I mean, you name it. And, and frankly, I mean, doesn't that sound good, actually? <laughs> like, that'd be great. Don and I sometimes talk about getting in an RV and Mostly it's leaving the kids at home. But you know, just going and enjoying uh, life that we have to ask this question seriously. What is wrong with this? 
What's, what's wrong with this, with his lifestyle? I mean, this guy has worked hard. He didn't, he didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't speculate in some business and then sell it, you know, flip it and just make millions. He worked hard for a long time. The farm produced well. And now what is, what is wrong with him just sitting back and enjoying the fruits of his labor? What's wrong with that? Well, here's the answer. The answer is that nothing is wrong with that. But also everything is wrong with that. I say nothing is wrong with that because there is nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts that God has given us. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we're told in scripture, look at Ecclesiastes 5.19. King Solomon, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. It's a good thing. The reason they're called gifts is because we are to enjoy them. It glorifies God when we rejoice in what he's given us, when we take some time to enjoy the fruits of our labors. That is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with slowing down when you get older. I mean, the Bible is very clear. It talks about the importance of caring for your older relatives. Um, Our parents took care of us. We should expect to take care of them when they get to a certain age. We shouldn't expect them to keep working and working and, and working. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts of God. Nothing wrong with slowing down, but... But there is everything wrong with the idea that your life should be a life of self-indulgence. Where it's all about you, where all of the things, your your whims, your desires are fulfilled in the moment. A life of self-indulgence ease, there's big problems with that from a biblical point of view. To which uh, some of you may say, maybe especially if you're a guest here with us, like what is the deal with that? I mean, some of you, some outside the church, maybe some inside the church would say, you know what? This is one of my problems with the church, that Christians are such killjoys. Like we can't enjoy our stuff. Like what's up with that? What, what is the big problem? Why does God have to get in the way of this guy who just wants to enjoy his life? Why, why does Jesus make such a big deal about this? Why does, he, why does he want to hinder this kind of enjoyment? So here's the answer why. It's because he really loves us. It's because he loves this man. It's because Jesus knows that self-indulgence doesn't actually deliver. Self-indulgence doesn't actually get for us the thing that we are hoping for, which is is genuine enjoyment and satisfaction. So let me tell you a couple things about self-indulgence. Maybe maybe remind you, maybe for the first time, just thinking about it. Here's the thing. Self-indulgence is never ultimately satisfying. Here's the problem. The problem with this rich man isn't that he's aiming too high. It's not that he's saying, I want this amount of joy, this amount of, this amount of satisfaction and joy in life. And God's saying, no, no, it's, it's too much, too much. I don't want you to have that much fun. That's not it at all. He's not aiming too high. He's aiming too low. He's, he's aiming at earthly pleasures, which are not going to satisfy him. And God loves him. Jesus loves us. And so the constant refrain of the Bible is, look, don't don't focus on the things of this world. They're not going to do it. They're not actually going to deliver. I was talking about this uh, with this guy I met just yesterday. And um, we were talking about this. um, He's a Christian guy. And um, he was saying that he he totally knows, like I was saying what the sermon was about. And he said, you know what? I totally totally get that. He, He has a company that customizes motorcycles. And he said, here's the thing that I notice about motorcycles. He said, I own a lot of motorcycles. He says, whenever I um, see a new motorcycle that I want or like a rare motorcycle that I'm trying to find, I get really excited about it. 
Like I, I search for it, figure it out. And I just, I, I think about it all the time. But then once I buy it, I look at it and it goes in the storage locker and all the enjoyment is gone. I just, I want another motorcycle. He said, it just happens over and over. It doesn't actually last. And that is true, whether we can see it or not, that is true of everything in our lives, everything in this world. It doesn't, it doesn't actually last. It's not enduring. The joy, the pleasure, the happiness, it's, it's fleeting, even if it's for 10 years. In the grand scheme of eternity, it, it does not last. All the things of this world fade. Jesus knows this. The rich man doesn't know this. And I don't think we actually know this as well as we should. That we still find ourselves getting caught up in the, in the, the shiny, exciting things that are right in front of us. What we need is to cultivate a taste for the more satisfying things of heaven. The joy of God himself. We're going to hit that at the end. But there's one other thing that we need to see about self-indulgence. One other problem. The problem with self-indulgence is that it distracts us from thinking about the deep questions of life. I mean, it totally, it, it keeps us from thinking about what we really should be thinking about. This guy, this rich farmer, he was definitely not thinking about the things of God. He wasn't thinking about his place in the universe. He wasn't thinking about where he was going to go after he, he died. He wasn't thinking about all these deep questions. And why would he? I mean, life was good. Life was great. He could wake up every morning knowing that he's, got these, he's going to have these giant barns. No matter what happens, he's going to be able to weather the storm. He was probably planning on taking a trip to the coast, probably renovating the kitchen, probably buying a new team of oxen. I mean, there was a lot of exciting things. He did not have time to think about these kind of sober, deep questions that might, you know, might unsettle him. He doesn't want to think about that. Which means he, which means he wasn't ready for what was coming next. Because in verse 20, everything changes. Here's verse 20. But God said to him, fool. I love that. Fool, says God. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now required is an interesting uh, term. That's a banking term. It basically means to call in a loan. Because here's, here's the thing. This man was so captivated by all that he had that he forgot or maybe he never really understood that the thing that was most essential to his existence, he didn't actually own that thing. That's his soul. His soul was owned by his creator. And God, the creator, was coming to get it back. And he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to give an account for, for, for his soul. Here's the tragic irony about this man. He was planning for the next years of his life and he only had hours to live. He was... He was consumed with trying to keep all of the stuff that, that he had earned. And yet in just a few hours, he was going to have to leave it all behind and someone else is going to have it. That's what it says in the text. Whose will it be? All this stuff that you're so concerned about. Who's it? Could be anyone. It's not going to be yours. He wasn't giving a thought to God or about God. And yet he had to answer to God for his very soul. This is tragic. This is foolish. And this is very, very common. I mean, is this man not the epitome of the modern human being? Isn't, isn't this us? Isn't this everyone around us? We're consumed with things that don't matter. We're ignorant of the deeper questions of life and it's so hard to think about them. I mean, just think of either yourself or the people in your life, the people in your neighborhood. What do you think might happen if they start to think about some of the deep questions of life? Like, like, like what is my life really about? Like, what's the nature of, of good and evil? Is there a God? 
Uh, is there going to be any judgment at the end of this life? All of these deep questions. You know what happens when you start to think about that? You notice a new show on Netflix. And you think to yourself, I'd, I'd rather watch that because I don't have any good answers for these questions. Or you pour yourself another drink. Someone texts you a funny cat video. There's, there's anything and everything will happen in your life that makes it easy to not think about these deep questions. And here's the amazing thing. In the midst of all of these distractions, how do we feel? We usually feel pretty good. We feel alive. We feel productive a lot of time. We feel, we feel like we've achieved something because there's always something going on, especially in our pocket of the world where there's always another thing to entertain us or distract us. But, but here's, here's what we are like. Here's what this parable is telling us we are like. We are like children who have been longing for a new toy and we're, we're finally getting it and we are so excited and we're just, you know, loving it. We're like sleeping with this new toy. We love it so much. We can't fathom the day when this new toy is going to break. But God is like the wise parent who's looking at us and saying, listen, enjoy it. But you have to understand it isn't going to last. And if your heart is wrapped up in it, when it breaks, you are going to be devastated. And what we're talking about here is at a level where it's not just, it's not just devastated. Your soul will be lost if your heart is wrapped up in the things of this world. See, this rich man isn't just interested in his wealth. He's consumed with it to the point that he never considers his eternal soul. That's, that's a devastating place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. It's, it's the place that self-indulgence takes us into a place of great danger spiritually. I want you to listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, it's another part where the word of God just articulates the dynamic here so, so well. Listen, listen to the words here. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. And I'm going to add to it our last verse of our parable which says this, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's, that's what the one is like. The one who's completely deceived. The one whose faith is in great danger because they've laid up treasures for themselves and not, and not been rich towards God. So listen, before we move on, here's the question that I need to ask you. How much are you like this guy? Honestly, don't be coy about it. Don't be like, well, you know, I mean, honestly, for the sake of your soul, how much, how much are you like this guy? How much do you think about things that don't matter, really? How much do you think about things that are not going to matter in 50 years or even 10 years? How much do those things occupy your mind and your heart, your worries, your anxieties, your goals in life? And how much do you think about things that are actually going to last? like your soul, the soul of the people in your life, in your neighborhood. I mean, that's really what Jesus is pushing us to see. The crowd in front of him, that guy who wanted his inheritance, what he's trying to get at is, look, you're, you're so occupied with things that don't really matter, that can't really help you in the way that you need to be helped. Even, even the desires of your heart, the joy that you're looking for, it's not going to do it for you. So what's the alternative? What's the answer to this peril that we find ourselves in? Because 
This is something that's obviously been an issue for human beings since the first century all the way up until today. So how do we, how do we make things better? How do, we, how do we get ourselves to a place where we are not in such great peril all the time? Well, here's our, here's our third point. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we should do. We should be rich towards God. We should be rich towards God. And I take that phrase from verse 21. Uh, look again, verse 21 says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So this part of the problem with this rich farmer is that he's laying up treasures for himself. He's not being rich towards God. That tells us if we want to fix things, we need to be rich towards God. What does that mean? It's kind of a strange, strange phrase. We don't use it that much. Well, here's, here's what it means. A couple of things at least. It means that, that God himself is the consuming focus of our life. If you think about what it means to covet, what it means to covet is that we want more than what God has given us. That we have this idea that we don't have enough. But the gospel of Jesus tells us so clearly that God has given us everything we need in Christ. That when we, when we feast our eyes on the cross of Jesus, we are reminded that, that he's given us everything. He's earned our righteousness. He's purchased our very soul. He saved us from the consequences of sin. The fact that he died and rose again tells us we have life, a glorified life to look forward to. When we behold the cross, we behold the nature of God. We come to the realization that we actually are full. And when we're full, it's so much harder to be deceived into covetousness and greed because we, we have everything we need. I mean, this, this has always been the heart of God's people who are walking closely with him, who have a real union with God. I want to read to you um, Psalm 63. The psalmist here is just expressing this genuine, heartfelt desire to know and love God, find, finding their greatest joy in God. Here's Psalm 63. Oh God, he says, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. I mean, that is someone who, who sees God for who he is and, and delights in him. You know, when we, when we do that, and the way to do that, frankly, is, is through worship, through prayer, through being in the word of God, feasting on, on the things that God has done, reminding ourselves, look, this is his nature. This is his character. This is what Jesus did for me. Man, when our souls are filled in that way, the distractions of the world, the pleasures of the world, we might engage in some of them. We're still going to drive a car. We're still going to buy some clothes at a certain time, but we'll engage with it very differently. It, it won't be out of a lack. It'll be out of fullness. Our, our tastes will change to be satisfied with that which is truly Truly satisfying. Here's another thing, though, about what it means to be rich towards God. To be rich towards God means that we are more excited about giving things away than storing things up. Because that's God's nature. That's the nature of the gospel. That Jesus poured himself out for us. He, he, he gave himself fully so that we might be filled up. When we are changed by the gospel, that's how we see our lives. Not as a reservoir where we're trying to like hold more and more and more, but as a, as a conduit. As like a pipe where God pours into our lives and we're just excited about, about sharing it with others. 
about blessing others, whatever it may be, material goods, spiritual goods. We want others to be blessed just as God has blessed us. So I want to leave you with a picture of this. This is a, a man that I, I read about a little while ago. Just blew, blew me away. His name is Chuck Feeney. Do you know Chuck Feeney? He is uh, a very rich man, was a very rich man. He was born in 1931. In 1962, I think he founded uh, the first duty-free shop. I don't think it was ever a thing before. He invented it, made a lot of money, like, like a lot of money. And he had a generous heart. So in the 1980s, he set up an organization to start giving away his money. From 1980-something to 2020, um, he made it his mission to give away all of his money. He had a team of people. They, they gave hundreds of millions of dollars to education, to healthcare, to peace, well, all over the world. Uh, by September of 2020, so last year, he and his wife signed the documents to close down his organization. Guess how much money he gave away? Over four decades, 40 years, he gave away $8 billion. $8 billion given away. He saved a little bit. He saved like $2 million for himself, just a little bit to, to live off of. But $8 billion, amazing. But I want you to listen to what he said. People ask him why he did it. Here's what he said. He said, I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved through supporting worthwhile causes. Besides, this, this is the good part. Besides, it's a lot more fun to give while you live than give while you're dead. That's wisdom. Notice, but notice why he's doing it. Not just to help anyone, because it's joyful. It, it makes him feel good. Look, this is just an earthly level. This is just a guy with a lot of money wanting to help other people who need money. How much more enjoyable is it for us who know the Lord to be able to see everything in our lives as a potential blessing for others and greater joy for us? That, that's what it means to be rich towards God, rich towards the, the people that God has made. And we have an ap- opportunity to do that every day. So listen, la- last thing, what does this mean for us then? Like, like full disclosure, I've been renovating my basement since the fall. Should I stop? Like, is that building a bigger barn? Some of you have businesses are on the cusp of expanding. Should you stop? Here's what we need to understand from this, from this parable. Okay. The real issue is the heart. It's not necessarily the size of the barn or the amount of money you have. Chuck Feeney had billions of dollars that did not seem to hold his heart at all. He could give it away freely, right? We as Christians should be able to do that even more. We should be able to build massive empires and businesses and see it all as a tool to be used for the God of the universe because he has good plans for the people of the world through the blessing of the church. It should be our greatest joy to use what we have to bless the people around us just like like God has done to us through Jesus. So I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you with verse 15. Remember what, what Jesus says. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. No one's life consists in Jesus himself. Because in John 10, 10, remember he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We have been given life, abundant life through Christ. May it be our joy to give of that life to others. To not hold on, not try to keep it for ourselves, but to give freely. In that way, God is glorified. In that way, we actually are satisfied. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this compelling, convicting picture, this this parable of this man 
who was so blessed by God and yet could not, could not see the joy, the, the importance of, of giving it to others. Lord, I pray that would not be us. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are in a position of plenty, Lord, may we see the potential danger that exists. May we do whatever is necessary to make sure that our heart is not tied up in, the, in those things that you've given us. And Lord, may we truly enjoy being rich towards you in worship, in praise, and in obedience of giving. And Lord, I pray also for those that this is just not a time of plenty, Lord. This is a time of challenge. Lord, would you visit them with comfort? Help them to know, Lord, that indeed you are with them and that you are doing good work in the midst of this challenge. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.